Once upon a time on Prompted Writing Podcast, Izzy soars into space, Bella delves into dystopia, and Erin plans a prison break. Plus, our special guest Matt joins us to talk about sci-fi and fantasy creatures. This, this week's prompt is, if you threw cement at me, I wouldn't eat it. Hi guys, welcome back to Prompted. Um, we have a guest today, which is Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Who are you, Matt? Who, who am I? That, what a question. Um, we are going to ask you a question, which is, who are you and what do you write? Uh, who am I and what do I write? I am Matt. I am a second year student. Um, I know these lovely folks from Panto. Uh, and I write all sorts of little bits and bobs. At the moment, I am up to my eyeballs in fantasy, um, particularly sort of Dungeons and Dragons style world building. Wonderful. We have we, we seem to have quite a lot of D and D stuff on here, which I am totally down for. Well, we're all very creative people, and D and D is is very creative. It is indeed. We it are D and D. Okay, that's the first pun. Is this going to be a how many puns can Matt that's fit in so one episode? <laughs> Matt, have you remembered your poem from earlier? I have. I've written it down. What's Brilliant. your poem? Well, now I'm what intrigued. What is your poem? Well, I, I, I'll have that as my like bonus piece a bit later on. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to give Matt all the pieces this episode. He's read out everything he's ever written. Sure. Okay, so speaking of... D&D, and uh, kind of games in general. Uh, Izzy, would you like to say what your piece is based off? Because I think I've guessed. Um, I'm not going to reveal yet what it's based off. I'm just going to say that when I did my piece this week, I was thinking of doing it to the prompt, and then I thought, no, this week, my prompt is going to be our lovely guest who we have on today, Matt. So um, this piece is titled... This is 100% not directed at Matt. Sorry, what? Which is not at all <laughs> slightly worrying. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, not at all. I'm very curious. Can you guys see, all see who you're cast as? Uh, yes. yes, I'm cast as my favourite flower. Yeah, so let's go Wonderful. straight into this then. And let's just, as a reminder uh, and a disclaimer, this is not at all directed at Matt. <laughs> I've just read, I've just figured it out. I've just figured it out. Oh, God. Okay. Um, a, li- a little tr- trigger warning for this. We have the death of a parent and lots of violence in this. So. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. Erin, would you like to begin? This is 100% not directed at Matt. Amber and Cole sit on a blue bench in the canteen. She stirs her coffee with an inflatable flamingo. <laughs> Sorry. While he peels a banana and stares into space. I just wanted to be part of something, you know? Part of a team. I get it. Don't get me wrong, if you get an opportunity to go to space, you're going to take it, right? Because it's exciting. 
But now we're here, the excitement kind of wears off and all we have left are our friends. Friends isn't the right word. After all these years of training together, learning how to fix the ship together, doing emergency drills, plotting our course, that stuff brings us closer than friendship. Right? You think? Yeah. It makes us family. Huh. Family. What do you think life will be like when we land? Whatever we want it to be. We could toast marshmallows on lava, teach lavender's kids how to make s'mores. Sounds peaceful. Cyan presses the big red button in the middle of the table. And and I'm going to say this as you've typed it, Izzy. Cyan, I swear, if you push that button one last time, I'm throwing you out of this ship. But it's an emergency. Indigo runs into the canteen holding fire extinguishers. Her daughter toddles in behind her. What's the emergency? We're out of toilet paper. Ugh. There's some in the stores. Azul saunters in wearing a cowboy hat. He throws Cyan some toilet paper, then saunters back out. Where are you going? This is supposed to be a meeting. Back to Cam's. You know it's creepy when you do that, right? As creepy as you, wandering into electronics every night. Azul saunters out of sight. Ignore him. How did he even get on this ship? Guess the code. What? He somehow guessed all our passcodes and snuck on board before takeoff. Must be hard, being an outsider. We should include him more. No thanks. I'd rather we kept him away from me and my daughter. At least he's quick at doing tasks. Wait, we have tasks? Amber writes dumb on a post-it note and slaps it onto Cyan's head. Everything flashes red and siren wail. Go on, prompted gang, make a siren noise. Why is the ship so broken? Someone help me fix the oxygen. Oh, yeah, maybe later. We set the run in administration. You do O2. Amber runs into administration, types the code, and the alert stops. She takes another post-it note from her pocket and reads her tasks. She has four in electrical, so she makes her way there, humming the intro to Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. Ding, 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 ding. You're the vent! Matt! Wait. Should I do that again? Do that again. Wait, Matt, you're the vent. Oh, Did you get the meme? Oh, oh yes, no, sorry. I understand. I understand. I thought I was what? just. I, was, I thought I was just Cyan. I can't read the the, the casting list at the top. I ha- I have to go and listen to that again. Yes. So it was okay, worth it. This is going to be hellish to edit. I'm blaming all of you. Din 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 din. Hey! Hey! Oh, that was so hard. What? That'll do. Sure. 
She presses her ear to the vent where the noise came from, then shakes her head and goes into electrical. What you doing? Just fixing these wires. Where's your mummy? She's watching us. Amber looks behind the child to see the beheaded lavender lying on top of the vent. Good lord, is he? Amber runs to the canteen to report the body to Cyan and Cole. I found lavender in electrical. Someone has. Someone has. Azal slams the doors wide open. There is an imposter among us, TM. Cyan rolls the dice. It's Amber. <laughs> what? The dice have spoken. It can't be. She fixed Let's oxygen. Them. Find out. No one's ejecting yeah, anybody. She's kind of sus, though. Maybe someone broke in. Or maybe you killed her. Were you on comms as all? Did you see who did it? I can only see corridors. Then what's the point of cams if you can only see, like, a fifth of the ship? I see little. I know all. That's it. I vote reject us all. I did it. But you were in admin the whole time. It, it just sounds like the sort of thing I would do. Guys, the imposter is... Shut up, Lavender. You're dead. Right. It's Sizzle. Let's eject him before we can kill anyone else. You sure, Ember? Trust me. But the dice! Amber and Cole wrestle Azul out of the ship. He tips his hat as he floats into the void, then dies a horrific death. What have I done? <laughs> the right thing. Come on, let's stick together. I'll keep if you safe. If you're the imposter, just let me know and I'll help you out. Cyan uh, runs towards Navs, leaving just Cole and Amber. Amber, are you okay? You look a little shaken. How do I know you're safe? You can watch me do a medical scan? No, I'm being silly. I trust you. The lights dim. Amber and Cole run to electrical to fix them. Cyan dances in front of the light switches. Lavender's daughter stands somberly over the spot where her model is decapitated. Izzy, what the... This is PG-13, Izzy! There was a trigger warning! The vents are really slidey this time of year. The lights come back on. Ignoring Cyan, Amber walks out of electrical and towards Medbay. Cyan dances a little longer, then chases Amber. Cole, help me! Cyan's trying to kill me! That's not fair. You can't talk outside of meetings. You always had it out for me. You never liked that I always scored better than you in training. And you're jealous that Cole is in love with me. And you hate that I won't share my Oreos with you. You know they're my favourite. They're vegan. Cyan chases Amber once around the ship until Cole pokes his head out from medical. Oh, Amber, quick, in here. Amber runs into Cole's arms and sobs into his chest. He rubs her back. Hey, hey, it's all right. I've got you. Cyan's the imposter. We killed innocent Azul. He'd understand. All that matters now is that it's you and me. Why? Because I love you. Cole puts his... Oh no, Bella, don't pull that face. Cole puts a hand on Amber's face and pulls her into a kiss. His tongue pierces through the back of her mouth and out the other end of her skull. Amber's ghost watches Cole stand over her severed body. 
Thanks for keeping quite quiet when you saw me vent. No problem, bro. I am an agent of chaos. As all the ghosts float, glide through the wall and glare at Amber. What are you standing around for? Finish your tasks. <laughs> Izzy, did you just write an Among Us fan fiction? <laughs> no. For anyone who has not played uh, the multiplayer sci-fi game Among Us, uh, we all play it fairly regularly and we get very competitive. So this is what this is. Izzy just wrote an Among Us fan fiction is what just happened. I, I absolutely... She I'm, did. I'm so happy. I'm so happy I'm on this episode. <laughs> If I ever have to read the words his tongue pierces through the back of her mouth and out the other end of her skull as he's kissing her, I'm going to scream. It's a metaphor for the entrapment of love. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Guys, this is a really delicate piece. Okay, I poured my heart and soul into this, right? No, so your heart and soul involved killing me off as early as possible. You're still around. You're still watching. Uh, Why? Why? Um, so apologies for my accent change for us all. I just thought that he should change. Okay. What I want to know is why you have a character called Cyan and a character called Azul when they're the same colour. You get different blues in Among Us. I mean, the, like, thing that I made up and uh, invented. (laughs) (laughs) Copyright, is he? Copyright. I'm, I'm just remembering that Among Us session where it was between Bella and Matt and I was like, right, both of you tell me you're not lying. And Matt was like, I promise I'm not lying. I promise it's Bella. And I was like, Bella? And she was like, no, no, it's definitely not me. And I thought, right, Bella's lying. And it was Matt. I've got, I've got an image open. I've got an image open with the colour Azul and an image open with the colour Cyan, which are very similar colours. And I'm just flicking back and forth between them to prove to Izzy a point. <laughs> well... Izzy, have you got the point? I, th- I think so. There are two blues in this game, but Matt, did you like your character? Did, did they strike a chord I, with you in any uh, way They whatsoever? really did. Um, for for listeners <laughs> who would not be aware, um, we were playing Among Us with Panto a couple of weeks back, and I decided it would be hugely entertaining to act as suspicious as humanly possible all the time. <laughs> Uh, and I did, in fact, uh, make several decisions based off of dice rolls. I think my proudest my proudest oh my moment God. was when I accused Izzy of venting, despite the fact I hadn't seen her vent, and then she was actually the imposter. So. Oh, wow. My, yeah. my favourite bit was when you said, oh, if the imposter reveals themselves to me, I'll help them out. So James popped out of a vent next to you to reveal himself to you, but you'd roll a dice to see whether you would actually help him out or not. And you'd rolled not, so you just immediately ran to the emergency button and reported him. <laughs> yes. Which was so rude. <laughs> and was. other highlights of me getting brutally murdered in front of you and you standing over my body and dancing. No, you did not do it. <laughs> it was an, it was an interesting oh session. Um. Yes. I think Matt and I are mortal yes. enemies on that game because we're both quite good at lying when we're the imposter. Mm. And we've kind of... You are. We've ended up in many scenarios where one of us is the imposter, but we're also the last two possible people that could be imposter alive. And... It's just the lies. It just it just they devolves. So sweet. It normally, just devolves into us yelling, "It's not me." 
just at whoever's got the <laughs> It's not me. It's not me. I mean, me. half the time, Matt pretends it is him. Yeah. There was some great voice acting there. Um, a highlight being Erin pronouncing the emergency meeting noise. <laughs> <laughs> you, you typed that. You take full responsibility for that. I did type that, thinking that you just make an er noise. Because that's what it is. No, I feel like Izzy just smashed her forehead on the keyboard <laughs> and was like, that's the noise. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the Skeld and other sci-fi ships that we love, um, Matt's piece is... Are you are you based in space for uh, your piece, I Matt? am indeed based in space for my piece. Um... Wonderful. The museum will be closing shortly. All guests are requested to please make their way to the main exit. The tannoy announcement rang through the steel halls of the Arcadia as the shuttle bays roared to life, carrying the station's many visitors planet-side. It was closing time, Eric's favourite part of the day. With, an e with a laziness born of endless repetition, Eric deftly manipulated the buttons and switches of the control panel in front of him, changing the flow of power throughout the station leaving the oxygen and security systems fully operational with reduced capacity to the station's gravity generator. Eric heaved himself up from behind the security desk as the lights throughout the museum began switching to low power mode, each making a satisfying chunk sound as it switched immediately from fluorescent white to a dimmer sunset orange. Gossamer wings whirred into action as, aided by the reduced gravity, Eric lifted gracefully into the air and began his nightly patrol. Eric was a sprite, a pixie to be rather more precise. He stood barely four feet tall with a spindly body, long clever fingers ending in vicious nails, and a pale angular face framed by the moss-like growth that ran like a river from his scalp. Pixies are a naturally narcissistic race, but as he would tell you, Eric was no ordinary pixie. Flying through the halls, he took far more interest in the glimpses of his own reflection in passing display cabinets than he did the artefacts within, and what artefacts they were, from the first enchanted tools crafted with twigs and rough-hewn stones, to the crowns and scepters of great fairy monarchs of times long gone. Each display contained new riches and magical powers, and, far more valuable, knowledge and learning etched into every accompanying sign painting grand tales of times long gone. But there was only one treasure in these vast halls that held any allure to its head of security, the legendary gem of the Mayar Fen, a diamond roughly the size of a basketball, so finely crafted that it could channel raw magic, and, under the correct circumstances, be used to weave the most powerful of spells. The magical properties of the jewel, however, were of much less concern to the pixie, than the fact that it was simply the most incredible looking glass in existence, and if he hovered in just the right position, he could see a thousand tiny copies of himself, each with its own winning smile. Not tonight though, while the gem still shone with its same brilliance, where Eric should have seen himself reflected, there was nothing. A pang of fear shot down Eric's spine as he lurched towards the gem. He could see the wall behind him just fine, but... According to this wondrous looking glass, he no longer existed. The reason for this was much less supernatural than the reader might be inclined to believe, and was, in fact, crawling through an air vent no less than twenty feet away, 
as the perturbed shrieks of a pixie now convinced of his own non-existence echoed through the long steel tube. The reason's name was Clarence, and she was a gnome. <laughs> See? What did I tell you? That was a piece of cake. For you, maybe. As for myself, I have terrible indigestion. The second voice belonged to a very strange creature indeed, a round reptilian face with red slits for eyes sitting above a toothless moor. The body of this creature was very reminiscent of illustrations of great dragons of ages past, with notable differences being the lack of wings and tail, and the forelimbs having some level of dexterity akin to that of a regular hand. The creature had no name, merely a designation, GZ232. They were a result of strange experiments, the description of which are far beyond the scope of this tale. The dwarf pivoted awkwardly in the vent. What are you on about, Z? I thought you told me you could swallow that gem no problem. Stones do not agree with me. For example, if you threw a piece of concrete at me, I wouldn't eat it. Give me too much pain. Oh, whatever. Come on, the shuttle's this way. We'd better move before that stupid pixie realises what's going on. The pair slid out of the air duct in the shuttle bay. The shutters on the external windows were raised, giving the most phenomenal view of the planet below. Rich greens of forests in the south, and the clear blue of the sea giving way to the red heat of autumn in the north. A planet of forests. A planet of fairies. The Terrans called it Proxima Centauri B. To the Fae, it was Finvara, the first and greatest galactic stronghold of magic. The shuttle doors slid open. They were almost free. So naturally, that was where it all went wrong. Hold it right there, criminal scum. <laughs> it had taken Eric a little over a minute to discover that the gem he was observing was merely an illusion, and then only another minute to track down the slightly wonky air vent cover. He was now hovering a mere 15 feet away from a guaranteed promotion, arcane energy crackling at his fingertips. But today it was not to be. Oh, for the love of Pan! muttered Clarence. That's our cue to leave. Clarence and Z both scrambled into the shuttle. The door hissed shut behind them just in time for a bolt of energy to strike the other side. With a crack and a hiss, the shuttle disengaged from the station and hurtled towards the planet's surface, leaving the shrieks of an enraged guard echoing through the station behind them. That was sick. Matt, you've got to you've got to read the poem okay. at the end as well. I don't know uh, why the, it's there. The bonus but... poem I made up in about ten seconds, um, based off this same prompt, uh, and reads as such: <clears throat> Roses are red. I'm undefeated. If you threw concrete at me, I wouldn't eat it. Thank you very much. That's beautiful. Which he wrote because I said I was going to write a poem a few hours ago for this prompt and then I couldn't because Matt had already written the best poem for this prompt. <laughs> the best poem ever on prompted. <laughs> it is glorious, I'll admit. It is. I love how you... No, I love... I love... Oh, go on. I love how you deal with the sci-fi theme and have a ship that just randomly has a gnome on it, but then it's a deep gnome. A deep... What do you mean a deep gnome? It's like a deep... It's not just a gnome sitting there. What are you talking about? As in, as in, like deep, deep character, deep, 
deep motivation. Oh, character. Deep pockets. I thought you were saying my voice was deep and you were expecting me to do like a high <laughs> no accent or no. something. I'm saying that it's deep character-wise. It's not just a gnome. It's not just Nomo and Juliet. This is a complex gnome. Man. A complex gnome who's stealing a large probably expensive artifact from a space station. Yeah, but it's sci-fi. A space gnome. A space gnome. There we go. Erin summed it up. Right, that's my point. I like that you have a space gnome. There we go. Erin, you'll go. I, I think my, my favourite lines in this entire thing were a pixie now convinced of his own non-existence and the reason's name was Clarence and she was a gnome. Yes. It's very... It, the, the kind of bluntness that I associate with, like... Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett and it just works so well yeah, here it's just you might as well just say it how it is um it just adds a little <laughs> bit of a, a little bit of a twist to it as well which is good yeah no this, this Matt piece, you should definitely write more yeah you should. I should this this piece fell prey a little bit to the fact that um it it very quickly turned into a world building exercise uh, so now I have this world in my head, and this piece is a very tiny slice of that world. Um, so I may well return to it at some point. Oh, I Make that. it into D and D question uh, that mark. Is one, uh, that's one particular application I was wondering about. Yes. Well, Matt and I were talking about this earlier, and how we are opposites in the fact that Matt starts off with a large world, and he has to shrink it down into a small slice of that world with complex characters whereas i have the opposite um problem where i usually start off like writing without world building have characters and a small slice of that world and then start having to think about the larger world which then overwhelms me because i'm like wait i haven't thought about this and now i have to um which was an interesting Mm. discussion because i mean what what do you what do you two struggle with do you struggle with big and then small or small and then big well i find i quite like having a world like that i can build because then it means like i have a big world that i can build because then it means it's better than having to do a load of research for a world that actually exists because i can just make it up is this like the kind of weird questions that every writer has googled at some point like Mm. the shelf life of ravioli it's, it's one that you always... How much blood can you lose without dying? Um, I've had to Google that one a few times. I looked up some interesting ones for this piece, actually. It was, um, what food can I get freeze-dried? And um, do, can a cacti survive... Can cacti, sorry. Can cacti survive with just a UV lamp? Or do they need to actually can they? outside? Can yes, they? but they're not particularly healthy-looking. Uh no, well, they wouldn't my, be, I guess. My interesting, my interesting piece of research for this was uh, can bees fly in space? Uh, and fun fact, they can't. Uh, because in the 1950s, I mean, I NASA shot a load of bees into space and they couldn't fly. <laughs> That's horrid. Aww, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I would have needed to look that up. Matt, what do you study? What do I study? I study cybersecurity. Okay, I can forgive you for not knowing. I mean, I just physics. figured that it would be quite obvious that bees can't fly in space. Well, no, no, here's the, here's the Stop interesting, insulting no, here's the interesting our guests. Because they also sent up moths and flies, and the moths and flies could fly just fine in zero-g conditions, but the bees couldn't. 
Why? Yep. Why couldn't they? Uh, it's... Moths can fly in space. Yes. That's terrifying. Space I think, moths. I think it's because space of like, moths, how, that's how, how be my their next wings piece. are constructed. Thank goodness. Next unprompted, the invasion of the space well, we moths. We already had a piece told just from the perspective of jellyfish, which was so hard to write, can I tell you? <laughs> now I'm going to do space moths. Space moths. Um, I think one, one last thing I'd just like to comment on, on this piece. Uh, the station's name was the Arcadia, which had links to sort of like the Greek god of Pan, who was like the guardian of nature, so the idea of like nature thing. Mm. Uh, and also the gem was called the Mayarthen, uh, which is literally just a play on MacGuffin uh, being... <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> which I was, I was way too pleased on, <laughs> pleased about, sorry. Wait, so Matt, how did you go about creating this sci-fi world? What was the first thing that you like started to build it? Um, the first idea that came to me was sort of like ingesting something as a way of um, stealing it, sort of tying back into the prompt. Um, and from then it was kind of like, okay, what kind of creature could survive, like could actually swallow something like that so then it was like oh it's it's a fantasy world okay uh the space station was purely because i've been playing a load of alien isolation and i was wanting to write some stuff in space um and it kind except of except i was gonna say blossomed of there. course you didn't have your character stealing a lump of cement because that would be stupid you had your character stealing instead a an expensive gem <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> Speaking of sci-fi, I have once again been very predictable and written another sci-fi. Uh, really apologies sci-fi. for that, everyone. We, we love to hear it. Mm. Oh, the joys. Um, this is the return of the recurring characters, so hopefully at least a listener will remember them. Should we play the, um, we play the same characters we played last time? Um, only Calypso is in this. Uh, he was played by Nancy, so... We'll get Nancy. There's that. Um, <laughs> we'll give her a ring. We'll and the other character is new. It's really good. This is a podcast. Everyone ready? Yeah. A door opens. We hear one person enter. Ah, welcome. Please enter my humble abode. I hope security weren't too rough with you. The door shuts and locks. Yeah, well... Prison staff tend to be nervous. Nice jumpsuit, by the way. Yeah, do take a seat. On the floor. I have not been given an abundance of furniture. Right. Well, thank you for agreeing to meet me. Of course. I don't usually receive such blunt messages prior to visits, especially with questions about my ships. Not the ships. The pilot interfaces that link with the AI. That was a failed endeavor. Look around you. Prison cell doesn't exactly demonstrate success, does it? But you know how they work. Of course I do. May I ask why you're so intrigued by them? They were discontinued many years ago after those unfortunate deaths. I can't exactly produce you a blueprint of my designs. You don't need a blueprint. It's easy if I show you. There is a rusting of fabric as Calypso takes off her what jacket. You... 
Miss Calypso, have I um, misunderstood your intentions? Don't flatter yourself. Look, this is your design, right? Either years of prison have addled my mind, or that is one of my pilot interfaces embedded in your spine. The ship I'm connected to is called Messiah. I don't want it. I tried stealing some original blueprints to work out how to break the link myself, but there were a few issues. Such as? My friend got hurt. Lost a couple of limbs. Dead now, I presume? Androids are sturdier than the rest of us. Indeed. Hmm, what a neat little dilemma you've given to me. Neat. Those designs were given to soldiers 20 years ago. You, my dear, are not old enough to have been one of them. Older than I look. Ah, don't try to be clever. You stole the ship, probably out of an old military storage unit. Care to tell me why? None of your business. Coward, then. You ran. How disappointing. Had my reasons. Not ones I'm interested in, my dear. Call me that again, and I'll make you swallow your teeth. Charming. Can you help me or not? I can, yes. Whether I will is entirely up to you. Which means... I always find it hard to work without a few things. A window is one of them. Things to eat that don't have the consistency of cement. An absence of prison bars. Am I making myself clear? You want me to break you out. Bluntly put, as expected. What if I just pay you big money for when you get out? I can't work in here. People died because of your interfaces. It was unfortunate, yes. Will I? How should I know? I need to run tests with equipment and a lab and a couple of assistants. You're infuriating. Your decision, please. Fine, fine. Give me a few days. You have one. Don't be late. Interesting. Oh. I like how the person in prison is the one calling the shots, even though they're the one in prison. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Intimidation <laughs> tactics. It's, yeah, like it's the whole idea of like the... status not necessarily oh, being Matt, you tied to your uh, your like social standing, as it were. It's more about how you conduct yourself. I love the yeah. way that Aaron like ups the tension in the scene. It's, it starts off with Calypso kind of insulting him about the um, furniture kind of thing, and she's just sort of sauntering in there, and then suddenly you find out, okay, she needs him, and then you find out that people have died and been re um, injured, and yeah, it just keeps going up and up and up, and I want to know how the prison break goes. Yes. Well, hopefully we'll <laughs> Probably find out. not well. Mm. In the in the next few episodes. Yeah, they'll be back. I need to get more of Lupus because I missed him in this in this one. Well, hang on, hang on. If we if we say Lupus the prompt for have... the next uh, the prompt for the next episode is uh, I tried to break him out of prison and it didn't go well. There you go. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> Got it. Absolutely. Oh. I it's Wonderful. Okay. As always, Erin. So yeah, good. Erin, you've got a side <laughs> nailed. I'm very jealous. Ah, 
Uh, speaking of wonderful writing, fella, what, what genre did you go with this week? Um, I went for something uh, that my housemate told me about, which is called Grimdark, which is like a speculative fiction, dystopian fiction, but uh, there never really seems to be like there's going to be any improvement. It's very dark and often violent, but I've tried to ex- to exclude most of the violence for this. And uh, that's that's what I went for, a dystopian dark piece. Mercury woke up as usual in their metal box. It was a Sunday. At some point, their contact on the outside would deliver that week's rations through a slat in the wall. As of this morning, they still had a thimble full of coffee left over, which they shook into a mug of hot water. It tasted like copper, but it was better than nothing. They spent a while with their feet tucked under their pillow, staring at a collage of newspaper scraps on the wall. Nothing important. Pictures of people, gardens, sometimes a comic strip. Politicians made into fantastical creatures with monochrome toupees and swollen noses. After their routine eye-swallowing, they pattered slowly across the floor to their cactus, Dolma. She was small and brain-shaped, with tiny translucent hairs. Mercury switched on their retrograde UV lamp and pointed it directly at the plant pot. They glanced at the clock. 8.53. Nin would arrive any time between now or tomorrow, if she hadn't been killed. Rational hermitism, of which Mercury was a partaker, had become an epidemic. Only one in five still lived in the daylight, and of them, many were dead. It's not as if anyone could keep count anymore. Carbohydrates, water, and dope took priority over statistical accuracy these days, and Mercury hadn't indulged in such recreation for weeks. They wondered if Nin would come bearing luxuries. Bread, soya, maybe tomato soup. The slap went clank. Mercury half laughed in surprise. They pried it open with one hand and reached in with the other. Three cans of peas a bag of raisins, a pack of plain biscuits, freeze-dried soy mints, a sachet of instant coffee, an orange. Mercury pressed their nose into the thick flesh and inhaled. It smelt like fresh compost. It smelt like outside. They took the last item from the hatch, a letter from Nin written on the same yellowed napkin as it was every week. They flattened it out on their little wooden table and began to read. Low from up top. Same old, same old. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Mercury. Low from up top. Same old, same old. Smells like piss. Saw a dirty cat the other day. Three-legged thing. Sun is hot this week. Nearly lost an eye. Some guy tells me to eat cement. He says, eat it, and tries to grate my teeth with it. But I didn't. Too low calorie. Make sure you're hitting the UV. Don't just give it to Dolma. Stay trapped, little rat. Don't die. Nin. Mercury pressed their forefinger to each word and then put it with the rest. They packed away the food into the box at the end of the bed. Peas for lunch, they supposed. Peas in silence. Aww. That's <laughs> the silence. Stunned silence. The silence really permeated at the end. <laughs> That was so good. I love the relation. Yeah, I love the relationship between the, um, like people, like sort of underneath, trapped in like a prison thing. Yeah. So basically, in this kind of universe, there is no government, no politicians, no sort of 
societal rules not even an unspoken constitution anymore there's just like murder <laughs> my favorite bit of this is that there is like it's a dark world but everyone still moved to soya and soy mints and things well yeah because i have a little detail i sort of like imagine in the dystopia that soy mints is probably easier to get a hold of than like real meat because mm. that's probably a luxury um but there's yeah people are all sort of the the rational hermitism sort of being like everyone's become a hermit because it's the rational thing to do because unless you're like one of the fittest people you're unlikely to survive on the outside world mm. so like there's a couple people who like deliver food in the outside world to the inside world but so like nin i imagine is quite a selfless person mm. whereas like there might be several people in the outside world who are not mm. um and <laughs> talking about world building um yeah i yeah i wrote this very quickly so it's not very like developed but i yeah that's that's what i came up with and also later on i, I don't know if anyone was gonna notice it but like nin says stay trapped little rat and it's like a nickname for rational hermits rats Aww. but like <laughs> i don't know that was weird do funny. these two ever get to actually meet do you think Maybe in a different universe when I write them again in a different mm. universe. See, I, I can't quite put my finger on what it is, whether it's just how it's formatted formatted on the document in front of me. But for some reason, like, it, it sort of reads a little bit like a poem as well. <laughs> I'd, it just, it's weird and a little bit abstract. And I, I think it's, that's really interesting because then you sort of realise, oh, no, these are like actual literal things they're talking about. But it sounds as though it's kind of a metaphor for something else. Yeah, I, I suppose it would sort of sound that way because it's very abstract. Not being able, like, if this is a dystopia and they've been trapped inside their entire life, then Mercury will not necessarily know anything about the real world. So their interpretation of the real world might be very basic. Oh, so Mercury's interpretation is going to be so like distorted and such a, a cool unreliable narrator yeah so that's three of my characters introduced now we've got marnie the eldritch mm. horror who likely in another universe won't be an eldritch horror mm. um but will be as quirky as she was in the first episode and now um mercury <laughs> and then mm. i've got three more to introduce oh that's so cool i love how um Oh, what's it called? How coordinated we've been on this episode as well. Because we started off with sci-fi on a ship, then we had another sci-fi on a ship, then we had sci-fi in a prison, and now we have this kind of, like, hermitism idea locked yeah. inside dystopia. Prison, but voluntary prison. Voluntary prison. Done a little arc. Yeah, we have we have all coordinated really well in, in genre and terms of, like, kind of vaguely claustrophobic settings, which is awesome. Um, leads us really nicely onto our topic today, which is uh, what are your favourite aliens and mythological creatures to write, and how do you write them? Thoughtful silence. Ooh. Wonderful. I say, oh, like I have a point. I, I have a point yet. I want to leave Erin to start this one because Erin is the master. Yeah, Erin is like the sci-fi alien. I'm not the master. master. Um, 
I do I do like writing aliens. I like giving them weird traits. I'm trying to think of the weird traits I've given aliens in my writing before. I think um, not having fingernails was one of the signs that this person was an alien. Mm. Um, I gave them some kind of weird ones like where like a, they're more vulnerable, like certain aliens have like more trouble breathing than others. Um, uh, give, giving them kind of weird traits. Um, I know in a in a thing I wrote recently, which was a podcast, one of the characters had like giant horns and trying to like slip them into the description, um, and then using them as like little kind of uh, idioms. So like, oh, he wouldn't notice something if it was dangling off his horns. Uh, that was very fun. Um, <laughs> could you tell us about Zuri? Because I think Zuri was one of my favorite aliens. Sure. Okay. So Zuri was in uh, a podcast I wrote, which Bella was in. Um, and Zuri was, um, Zuri was an alien that was like a genetic experiment for a certain type of species. And because she was meant to be used for, um, like kind of medical experiments and, and being monitor- monitored, uh, she was made with see-through skin. Um, so you can kind of see all her organs and stuff. So when she gets bruises, it looks really bad. You can kind of see her blood moving. Um, very, very weird to do. And one of the things about her is that she looks like every other member of her species and that she has uh she has like gills and she has webbed fingers because her species are a lot in water but because she is kind of the see-through one and she is made to mature very quickly so i think i think she was like not like i don't know like four years old but she had the mental age of someone in their 20s um so she decided that she didn't want to be that kind of species so she named herself after um like a mythological species in that species is culture um so a lot of people thought that she was a different species for a very long time and then one of the twists was oh no she actually is that species she just refuses to be classified as it she was very fun to play siri was also very cool because they were telepathic um yeah they were telepathic but there was no one around for them to be telepathic with so they had to use spoken language but just used it very badly um i think the way i described it was oh they speak it's like translating binary into words so they spoke in a very kind of broken disjointed way um which quite often had to be translated by other characters because at times it it was just Mm. indecipherable gosh i like to so um if I'm going, so I don't write as much sci-fi um, unless I'm doing an Among Us pa- parody. But other than that, I do um, a lot of fantasy, and I like to. I've started trying to explore fantasy for a screenwriting module, and what I've been doing is I've been collecting up loads and loads of folk tales, but ones not the sort of ones that we hear around here, more sort of ones from different cultures. So, grabbing a Hungarian folk tale, grabbing a few Italian ones, Spanish ones, and then kind of mix them all together. And if there's any kind of like mythical creatures from there, then I'll twist them and uh, combine them with other tales and make something from there. What about you, Matt? What about me? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly boring. I, I really like sort of like elves and dwarves and humans and like sort of the traditional tolkien-esque races i guess in in fantasy um but i like trying to find some little little nuances to make it more interesting so like it's it's a dwarf but rather than being a miner as you would expect a dwarf to be he's actually a scholar and he's really well read and well traveled and he has 
like a load of things that are a little bit shifty on the side or like an elf that's actually like a random street thug um and just taking sort of very very typical like you have a, you have a mind's eye image of what you think an elf is or what you think a dwarf is and it's just finding little ways to twist twist those sort of things you're very familiar with i find really fascinating um also dragons are my personal favorite but they're like super hard yeah. to like write for if you have like an intelligent speaking dragon um because dragon dialogue at its best needs to be really good i watched a tv show where it's called through the dragon's eye where there's gorwig the dragon who I'm, I'm not gonna go into that it's just a crazy tv show i don't know where it's going <laughs> He can fly, but it's really bad special effects. It, it's great. Um, Matt, what are your favourite sci-fi things to watch? Sci-fi? Ooh, um, oh. I mean, Star Wars is the big one, but that's more sort of space fantasy. Um, this is a very good question. Um, I love sort of ideas of like and moving to other planets and then uh the martian i found really interesting it's sort of more grounded sci-fi as a sort of realistic look at how how a move to mars might go um the avatar films for their flaws i don't know why it just that that film fascinates me um yeah um I also love my superhero films, so they kind of kind of fit into a little bit of sci-fi at a stretch. Um, and I love I love stuff that kind of blends the real world with sort of more fantastical elements and tries to explain explain fantastical elements using science. I love the idea that like magic is just energy, and so you can talk about it using sort of like Newtonian physics. Uh, that seems really interesting to me um so yeah no i i love i love sort of trying to make stuff work in the real world even though it conceivably never could uh, if that makes sense has anyone read under the skin no 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 um i'm trying i'm trying to remember the author's name i think it's let me google it yeah michael faber okay. so yeah i've got it um under the Skin um, is a re I would really recommend it as a book. It's essentially told from the perspective of an alien who is living on Earth, except that the alien race that is living on Earth, like, calls themselves people and humans, right? And then refers to humans as, like, humans and, like, alien, like, things that are really weird. So, like, humans are written in a really, like, abstract way. Like as if an alien was um, ex like perceiving a human for the first time, and the aliens that are living on Earth, who are the humans, um, actually are harvesting and farming like us, because human Ooh. meat is a delicacy back on their planet. Ooh. So um, the main character is essentially, I suppose, the protagonist, though, is also one of the aliens doing this drives around in a car and picks up hitchhikers and when the book first begins uh they're kind of, like this character is just like they this character has been had surgery done on them to make them look like an attractive woman 
um, who then lures men into the car to... And at the beginning, you don't know that they're an alien, so you just think that she's a hit, like she's a driver who is like look like picking up men for some weird reason because she only takes like like um, strong specimens as she refers to them. And then you start to learn as like the book goes on that actually she's not a human picking up other men; she's an alien picking up men to then farm them back on the farm she's a farmer <laughs> that is terrifying and, like feed them loads of food it is really it's a really terrifying book but it's so well written like you can see everything happening mm-hmm. and it is supposed to be in a way eco-critical because it's like that's how we treat animals but it's like trying to be like how would you feel if you were in the same position yeah, I, um, I love, I love, um, sorry, I, I love War of the Worlds for that I, exact reason. Yeah, I was because, just about to yeah. say, I've, I've recently re- properly read War of the Worlds for the first time, and that definitely has sort of a very similar vibe to it of like, what if humans were suddenly the non-dominant species on Earth? Mm. Well, it's kind of sort of reminds me of like how I write fantasy and sci-fi characters and aliens, because... I don't tend to write a lot of aliens or fantasy creatures. What I instead tend to do is make something that is otherwise normal on Earth abnormal. So, like, in this piece, politicians no longer exist, so they're, like, mythological fantasy mm. creatures that people as- that did exist, but people have kind of assumed never existed, etc., um, etc. Et like... Birds, for example, in a novel I'm writing at the moment, I've included the popular conspiracy theory that birds are drones. So birds, in a way, are technically mythological creatures because they no longer exist. That's really cool. I love that. I think we are going to bring that to an end there because we've just about had had a full episode, which is wonderful. Um, we have we've, we've succeeded guys um, hooray Matt survived you, you survived your first prompted episode you only got no you didn't even get killed in any piece you got killed this episode was it no you I did. did you did okay only only Bella didn't survive Bella has there. been the only casualty of today's episode <laughs> um, I usually am I lost limbs in the first you did one. yeah Lupus lost a lot of limbs um, thank you so much to all our writers on today's show, especially Matt. We hope you enjoyed yourself today. Um, and thank you. Oh, it's been it's been so good. Wonderful. And thank you to everyone listening. Um, to support us, subscribe to our Patreon at www.patreon.com/promptedwritingpodcast um, for bonus content and shoutouts. Uh, we are now on YouTube, which is Prompted Writing Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review telling us what you think. For more prompts and writing, find us on at Prompted Writing Podcast on Instagram. And thanks for listening. guys, Erin Edison here, and it's Looper Time. Hope you enjoy. Indigo runs into the canteen holding fire extinguishers. Her daughter toddles in behind her. Oh no, wait, that's you. I read it wrong. You've said Lavender and Lavender's daughter. I assume you meant Indigo and Indigo's daughter. Yep, the name changes. <laughs>
<laughs> Keeping me on my toes, Izzy. <laughs> no thanks. I'd rather we kept an away. <laughs> this is what you don't see of prompted, Matt. <laughs> Prompt is perfect, Matt. Don't let your dreams be stolen. <laughs> Sorry, do you like? <laughs>